thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Thank you for downloading this podcast. If you like knowing, the brain is for you. If you like a challenge, the brain is for you. If you like to Google yourself once a month, the brain is even for you. Get to our website for more info and you could be the brain. Stand up for democracy. Support South Africa's hard-won media freedom. It starts with you. Lead SA. .co.za Naked Scientist on Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk with Reedy Clubby. It is 25 minutes to 10 o'clock and our lines are open for you. This is a very exciting uh, time on a Friday morning because we get to strip science to its bare essentials. Anything that you are curious about in the world that we live in, the Naked Scientist is on the line and he joins us now. Hello, Chris. Good morning. Good morning. Lovely to chat to you again. We've got lots of SMSs uh, left over from last week, so I'm going to go through some of them. Um, somebody wants to know why is there no cure for asthma and why is it on the rise? Okay, well, asthma is an allergic condition. That means that the immune system is doing something wrong. When you have asthma, what has happened is that cells called mast cells, which are fairly large cells that live in our tissues and are full of histamine, they have got on their surfaces a kind of antibody called an IgE antibody. And the IgE antibody recognises something which has been produced by a tiny organism called the house dust mite. And these house dust mites consume bits of us, our dead cells fall off of us, and they put out these various proteins which are recognised by these antibodies in the lungs of people who are asthmatic. So when you breathe in the faeces of these house dust mites, which are everywhere where we live because they feed off dead bits of us, then these bits of protein go onto these antibodies and they trigger off these mast cells to pump out their histamine. This makes the airways become inflamed and this makes the muscles contract, so the airway muscle constricts, so the airway gets narrower, and that puts a resistance on the flow of air in and out of the lung, which makes it harder to breathe, and it also makes the airways make more mucus, which is why, again, you have difficulty breathing, because this further narrows the airway, and also means that it's more difficult to get air in and out. And because the stimulus for this allergic reaction is ubiquitous and ubiquitously present, because it's there all the time, the lungs are in a state of almost near-perpetual constriction and inflammation. And that's the most common form of asthma. And because you can't divorce yourself from the stimulus, Mm -hmm. you've always got some of the symptoms. There's another form of asthma, which is exercise-induced asthma, which can also be triggered off by cold air. And so when someone either starts exercising very fast or they get very cold air going in, and one can often lead to the other, actually, relatively speaking, this can also make the airways react and they constrict a bit. And as a result, you again get the symptoms of an increased airway resistance and inflammation. Mm. Why is it on the rise? Well, actually, we don't know. 
um, it seems to be a consequence of clean living. Mm -hmm. Because the rise of asthma has occurred as the populations of countries worldwide have got apparently healthier and wealthier. They're eating better, living in nicer houses, and get cold less often and have access to clean water. And as we get more and more of those conditions and are colonised by fewer and fewer parasites, usually intestinal worms, then the risk of these allergic conditions, including asthma, seems to be getting higher. That's one theory anyway. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you very much, uh, Naked Scientist. You also have a story for us about a potential new way to target bacterial infections. Tell us about that. Yes. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, there's a very interesting paper which has been published this week. It's in the journal PLOS Pathogens. It's by researchers in America, Paul Dunman and his colleagues. And they've been looking at a new way to hit some of these hospital superbugs where it hurts. And at the moment, we have antibiotics that either attack the walls of bacteria, like penicillin, and they make the bacteria break down. We also have antibiotics that attack the ability of bacteria to make proteins, the chemicals that keep their cellular processes going uh, inside the cells. They work quite well. And we also have antibiotics that stop the bacteria making gene products, and they work quite well too. The problem is that the bacteria are incessantly becoming more and more resistant to these agents, and so we need a new way to attack the bacteria. And what these researchers in America have done is to discover a way in which bacteria uh, break down a chemical called RNA inside their cell. Now, when you want to turn your DNA message into an a recipe in the cell, a chemical that can do something, you first have to convert the DNA into a version of that genetic message called RNA. And the RNA then goes over to another structure and tells it how to make the thing that the cell needs to make. Now, when bacteria are growing very, very fast, they need to break down these RNA messages very quickly so that they don't get all the wrong signals. So what this group did was to ask, well, can we find one of the genes which breaks down these RNA molecules quickly to enable the bacteria to grow fast. And they did that by comparing fast-growing bacteria and slow-growing bacteria Mm -hmm. and saw which of the genes were different. And they then found one gene, which is called RNPA, which is involved in breaking down these RNA molecules. And then what they did was to screen 29,066 individual different chemicals to find one that could bind to and block up this RNPA molecule. And they found one, and they've called it RNPA 1000. And it's very effective at blocking the growth of things like MRSA, methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus. It also works against uh, Streptococcus pyogenes and Streptococcus pneumoniae, pneumoniae being the cause of pneumonia and also some cases of meningitis. So it looks very promising. The only problem is, at the moment, although it can be used in mice, Mm -hmm. it's probably a bit too toxic for human cells, but because they've got the chemical structure of this drug, you can then work out, well, how does this work? And then begin to build alternative chemicals that can do the same job, but they're much better tolerated by the cells. So it's a, a very good insight into a whole new way to kill bacteria, basically by stopping them breaking down their RNA, so they signal themselves to death. Mm-hmm. All right, thank you very much. Uh, we're going straight to the lines on 0214460567 or 11883072. Chris, we had a caller during our open line yesterday. Andre called us from Boxburg, wanted to know about stem cells and uh, some information there. He has a sick relative and wanted to know about it. And we thought maybe we can use this opportunity for you to help him with uh, some answers. And we phoned him back. Andre, good morning. 
Good morning, Lily. How are you doing? I'm very, very well, thank you. Now, I do know that since yesterday, there have been people who phoned us, wanted to give you information, but we have a lot of faith in the Naked Scientist, and maybe this, you know, this is an opportunity for you to get more tools uh, as, as you make a decision about this. So your question to him, please. Yes, um, firstly, thank you for the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, from the listeners that uh, contacted me yesterday, it's like with uh, these type of um, uh, research that there's some mixed uh, information. Some people are close to themselves and some are not. And I just wondered if the doctor can give me his opinion about stem cell treatment for cerebral palsy and if it's something we should consider. And uh, most importantly, is there any side effects from that treatment? Okay. Hello, Andrew. Well, I'm sorry to hear that you're having to grapple with this decision. Um, Cerebral palsy, of course, for anyone who's not in the know, is the condition that when children are born they have because often there may be a lack of oxygen getting to some bits of the brain and this can lead to various problems with brain function and it's often focused on the motor system so the person can develop abnormal movements or not be able to move as well as they should I know that there are people working on stem cell techniques that could be used to help these people. I'm not aware of any that have gone through clinical trials and have been approved as safe and effective. In other words, they make a proper clinical difference to the recipient. And whilst I know people are working on this, I'm not aware of there being any any outcomes yet that would say, I could turn around and say to you, this is definitely worth doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not to say it's not worth <clears throat> excuse me researching but i'm not aware of anybody who's saying oh this is how you treat this condition routinely now because we've got this body of clinical trials that show it can work um so i'm sorry that's the, that's probably the best i can do the reason we think that stem cells would be beneficial in this sort of circumstance is that the reason things like cerebral palsy happen is because the brain loses cells and it can't make new ones and so we want to put back into the brain cells that will replace the function of the missing ones. Um, but we're a long way from being able to do that at the moment, I think. Mm-hmm. Andre, that's it, my friend. Uh, I suppose you're going to have to make a decision about which route you want to take, eh? Absolutely. No, I appreciate the, the, the doctor's input. And, uh, yeah, once again, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks. That's Andre in Boxburg. Let's go to Rene in Boxburg as well. Hi there. Hi, Vidi. Uh, mm. I was just wondering if it can put any light onto this disease, lupus. Is it a very hard disease to diagnose? Hello, Rene. Um, well, the thing with lupus, it's also known as SLE, which is systemic lupus erythematosus. And this is an immune condition. We were talking about asthma earlier. Well, lupus is another immune condition. Only with lupus, what you've got are antibodies in the bloodstream against your own DNA. And so when cells die, sometimes they die without breaking down their DNA first, which is what they should do. And so the DNA can get out into the bloodstream, and there's lots of DNA floating around in the blood normally. And in people who have lupus, their own immune system recognizes that DNA, but it recognizes it as foreign and mounts an immune response. And so all around the body, you've got the immune system at a low level attacking these bits of DNA inappropriately. And so you get damage to blood vessels all around the body and localized patches of inflammation and one of the classic signs is that it can cause skin problems so a person gets a sort of butterfly shaped rash on their face um, where this is happening the bottom line is that it's not a very nice disease because again like the asthma story you've got the stimulus in the case of sle your own dna floating around in the body all the time so the immune system is continuously being prodded 
and the only way to control it is to try to damp down that immune response. But the bottom line is that that can be hard to do in the long term, and people are trying to work out how to stop it, but they don't exactly know why it happens in the first place. It's more common in women, and one theory is that it might be stimulated or kick-started in the first place by a reaction to fetal cells, because it's more common in women who've been pregnant. In fact, I think it's 14 times more common in women who've been pregnant. Mm. And so as a result, what we think might be going on is that when a lady's pregnant, we know that cells from the baby get into her own bloodstream. And sometimes those cells can settle in other organs and they persist because people have done studies where they have found cells with Y chromosomes in them in a woman's body long after she was pregnant with a son. And the only way she'd have cells with Y chromosomes in them is if her baby boy had injected some of its own cells into her bloodstream and they'd then settled in her other organs. So one theory is perhaps these foreign cells take up residence in other tissues and then they start stimulating the immune response to attack the body's own tissues and then that immune response crosses over into the person's own tissue, as in it starts to recognise the person's own tissue rather than just the foreign invading cells. Um, this is still unproven, but there's quite good evidence to support this as one potential mechanism and to explain why these sorts of autoimmune diseases are more common in women who've been pregnant. Mm. Uh, Chris, can a person die from lupus if it's not managed uh, accurately or what actually happens? Well, they wouldn't die probably directly of the disease, but they would probably die of one of the consequences in certain circumstances. Lupus can attack almost any tissue in the body. It can cause heart problems. You can get inflammation and blood clotting inside the heart because of uh, uh, Liebman Sachs endocarditis. It can cause problems in the brain. It can cause problems in the skin and eyes. It can cause problems in the joints. So if it's not managed correctly, um, and it can be managed well and safely, but if it's not, then it's possible you could develop one of these consequences that could have a, a much worse outcome. Okay, thank you very much, Renee, for asking that question. And Kolisa in Leondale, you also have an, another interesting case. Tell us about it. Yeah, good morning, Reggie. Good morning. Yeah, we have this mystery in my family. My nephew, uh, for over 15 years now, um, he, he simply stopped talking. You know, he, he doesn't speak. Um, he was taken to one of the hospitals in Pretoria because they suspected that there was something wrong with his mind, but they found that he's normal. He doesn't speak, uh, he doesn't respond when you speak to him. Yeah, but when you, you, you put food on the table and say, this is your food, he doesn't respond immediately, but say after 15 minutes, he will stand up and go straight to the plate that you said it was his plate and pick it up and eat. Um, he, he can make an egg. He's just, we don't know. It's just a mystery. We don't know what's wrong with him. But also what you're saying is he understands what is being said to him. He reacts to it, but he doesn't speak. Yeah, he, he responds much later, and sometimes he doesn't respond at all. Um, he, he, he cleans himself, he gets into the bath, but he, he doesn't talk. And talking, this started to when he was about 16 years old. So we, we it never started when he was very small. It's something that started when he was already in school. What could be the problem, Chris? Well, one possibility could just be that the, the poor chap is a bit depressed. Um, some people who get very down, and when people go through puberty, they have very big changes in hormones, 
and your life starts to change dramatically because you're not a little kiddie anymore. You've got to take responsibilities. You also have responsibilities to other people. You start having relationships or you'd like to have relationships with other people. And if that doesn't happen, it can make you very depressed. And young people do get depressed quite often. And when people get depressed, they withdraw and they may not engage with people. They may not talk to other people. So if this person was perfectly normal originally, and this strange behavioural thing has kicked in subsequently where they're only just about barely functioning as a husk in terms of, of their ability to socialise, they could well be quite down and it might be worth having them assessed in, in case they are a bit depressed because if they get some help for that then they'll probably get a lot better. Another possibility would be that actually physically something else is wrong um, and it would be worth having a general medical checkup anyway just in case there's something else which is making the person then behave in this way because there may be some other biochemical problem or physical problem which is affecting their behaviour. So I would suggest seeing someone who's a general doctor who could give them a, just a once over across the board just to make sure nothing's being missed and also assess in case they've got a mood disturbance like, like depression for example. Mm, so the problems would be more emotional you suspect than any loss of Well the, the giveaway is that this person was entirely normal as a kiddie. Yeah. Um, if it was going to be something neurodevelopmental of the common type then it would be along the lines of something like autism and this would become obvious in the very young age from about two or three upwards when they start to depart from the normal developmental pathway and stop talking to other children, don't play like other children and don't necessarily have the right sorts of social engagement with their parents or other people around them. But this, this person doesn't seem to have that, which would suggest that perhaps he's, he's depressed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right, good luck to you, Kualisa. You may want to get some intervention there, seeing a psychologist or uh, any such person. Uh, good luck to you. Mike in Strand, hi. Hi, hi good morning. Um, mm. uh, question to Chris. Um, I have a, a, a pool treatment system. It's non-chlorine-based, and it, it is um, hydrolyzed metal salts, uh, zinc, silver, aluminium, gold, copper, etc., that gives you the, the, the cation and anion um, uh, phenomena which eats up bacteria the, the question really is that okay those are heavy metals and does it affect people uh, through the skin in, in a pool uh, I don't know if I've made clear what my, my question is but I don't know enough about it and I've had some negative sort of uh, feedback on that heavy metals. Hello Mike um, I've not come across this uh, sterilization system so I'd need to have a a look at it to, to find out a bit more about how it actually works. Um, are the heavy metals, as in the zinc, are they actually free in the pool water or are no, they no, immobilized no, on a surface? So to no, hyd hydrolyzed means that something has, uh, or hydrated, it, it just means that something has broke, been broken up by water, so that, that, that doesn't really apply here. But do you know if the metals are stuck onto a surface, so the water passes over a surface, or are they added as, as a salt directly into the pool water? Standard, and obviously it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a product that I sell, and, and I'm not looking for a plug on the, on the radio for it. Um, it's just that I'd like to know the background that people might ask me uh, and, and, and comment and say, yeah, but that's the heavy metals and it's going to accumulate in your body. Now, from what sure. I understand... Sure. What, what I'm just trying to get at, Mike, is yes. how do you use these products in the water? Do you literally just add the salts directly to the pool water? It's, it's, a, li it's, it's a liquid in a liquid form. Right. And you just pour it into... Uh, once a month, you pour it into your, your, your skimmer box and it stays yep. active for one month. Okay. Yeah. I... I think I'm, what I'm going to have to do is go away and take a look at um, 
what the products are because the bottom line is people don't drink lots and lots of water from the swimming pool. So their actual intake is going to be very low anyway, for a start. So that, that means that the risk is quite low. You can add things like aluminium salts to swimming pool water because it acts as a really good flocculant. It helps to bring all the little bits together. And people don't get aluminium poisoning because they don't drink the water from the swimming pool. So the dose will be low anyway. But I will check out how this is proposed to work because I hadn't come across it before. But the bottom line is that the bacteria and algae are much more sensitive to these salts than a human is because their relative dose is much higher. Okay, Mike, we'll see what the Naked Scientist comes up with next week. Thank you. Uh, Peter in four ways. Hi. Good morning. Hi. Yeah, I wanted you to help me. Is it possible for you to elaborate um, a little bit on the PPD chemical that is included or used in black henna tattoos, which is incredibly poisonous and causes such very bad reactions on, on, on people who have it applied? Hello, Peter. Uh, actually, I can't because I don't know anything about that chemical. Do you know what it is? Well, what it is, it's, it's a chemical that's very widely used in uh, hair dyes. In other words, what they put inside a hair dye is then put onto the uh, henna tattoo in order to darken the skin a lot quicker, to make it a lot uh, blacker, and also to keep it on the skin for a lot longer. But uh, my son right. got a tattoo in uh, Thailand, um, and in 12 days he had this incredibly bad allergic reaction. And apparently what happens is you become... Uh, oversensitized and every time you have get exposure to the PPD chemical um, you become more and more sensitized and eventually the allergic reaction can actually kill you. Gosh. Well, what I'll do, Peter, because I knew that henna was linked to allergic skin reactions and, and anything you put on your skin in some people could trigger a kind of acute dermatitis. I'm not aware of the chemistry of that particular substance, so I'm going to have to go away and look, look a, a bit more into that, if I may, please. Because, yeah, I mean, I know of about, I mean, a, a large number of people who actually also went, I mean, you know, they get tattoos wherever they travel overseas and, and Durban even apply them. And uh, what sure. is happening, these kids are going out there, they're becoming oversensitized. Ten years later, the guy goes and has a uh, died for a school function. And he wakes up dead because during the evening he had the erection and his uh, air passages closed down on him. Well, I think also this, this raises a very important point, which is many of these industries are totally unregulated. That's so right. they're not properly checked. And Absolutely. many countries have different standards to other countries. And what works in one country or is allowed isn't allowed in another. Um, and another good example of this is these sun tanning parlours. Because when I was in Australia, I was, because obviously they have great interest in skin cancer there i was looking at the uh rates of the, the doses that people will get in ultraviolet rays from the sun tanning parlors and they're five times the intensity of the noonday sun on an australian beach some of them hmm. and there is no regulation whatsoever so people can go in there and baste themselves almost to death getting very big doses of radiation and no one is checking up on this and so i think you're right that th this does need looking into and i will look into this and see what the chemical is and i'll come back to you next week oh, all right before, Peter, before you yeah. go, is the substance used in all tattoos, or it was it was just unique to those ones that uh, your your son had made in, in wherever wherever? Well, you know, I, I tell you what actually happened was we went we went across to. Okay, so we don't have, we don't have much time, but I just wanted we'll to know. If, he, got, he got the tattoo, and, and it really, I mean, it looked like severe acid burns. And I actually went and I googled it, PPD black henna tattoos on, uh, on on the web, and it came up with warnings all over the countryside, all over Europe. And, and I said, you know what, I can't understand it. These, these kids were lining up to get these tattoos put on their backs, and even adults, and, and there was absolutely nobody warning them. And, and okay, all right. I think the answer to my question was, is this the common substance that is used in all tattoos? But okay, we'll, we'll get the answer next week. Thank you very much, Chris, for chatting to us. Thanks, Cindy. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Reedy. Have Thank a good weekend. Thank you very weekend. much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And uh, yeah, I'm sorry to end it like this because we have uh, a long ad break coming up. But this feature will always be available for you as a podcast. And the last two callers will answer your questions next week. 
thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.